Hey, and welcome to the Free Chapel Podcast. You can also enjoy our podcast plus live and on-demand videos, daily devotions, and bonus content on the Free Chapel app. It's the best way to get connected to our church, and you can find it today in the app stores or at freechapel.org slash app. Let's get into this week's message. Amen. Hey, how many of you women ever wanted to take the dishes and just, just take them out of the cabinet and throw them against the wall? I mean, grab the drapes and yank them down. Pour sand down the sink. Drown the husband in the bathtub. Amen. <laughs> Take that old remote control and just throw it out the window where your husband could quit changing channels on you. Well, that was the word that resonated. I mean, just get away from it all. Never make a bed as long as you live. And all the women said, Okay, men, let me talk to you. While driving to work, how many of you have ever thought, well, I think I'll just keep on going. And on the way, I'll just stop by and spit in the boss's face. <laughs> Write a note to your wife and say, find another one. <laughs> Trade your wife for a good old bird dog. <laughs> I'm in trouble right now. And hunt and fish and play golf the rest of your life and never work again, and never have to shave again, all the men said. See, they're chicken. You women, they're afraid of you to say amen. Pastors, how many have ever wanted to shoot the sound man? Yeah. Trip the music director when he walked across the platform. Turn up the air conditioner and just let the grandmas gripe. Just get up one day and say, you could have this whole thing and never raise a budget again. You know, when I think about quitting, you know what I want to be? A taxi driver. Just able to drive around town all day. Galatians chapter 6 and verse 9 really paints that picture. It said, let us not grow weary in well-doing. For in due season, everybody say due season. You will reap if you faint not. But most people faint ahead of the reaping. If you've ever wanted to quit, you're just in very good company. The list of those who wanted to quit read like history's Hall of Fame. Jeremiah, the prophet, wanted to quit. Matter of fact, he did quit for a while. Got himself a little cabin by a little creek. But the Bible said he made a mistake. He began to read the word of God. And the Bible said a fire be breaking to burn within him. That's the way the ministry is. It's kind of like being married. You can't get along with them and you can't get along without them. Amen. And he went back into the ministry. Abraham. You know Abraham. He was called the friend of God. Depression came. Recession came. And he wanted to quit. Peter, who walked on water. Peter, who saw Jesus being crucified. He got discouraged, denied the faith, denied the Lord, denied the church, and even cursed God and had a desire to quit. Martin Luther, who led the Great Reformation, he had moments of his life when he was depressed because as he called up St. Peter's Cathedral on his knees, saying the just shall live by faith, the just by live by faith. 
the Diet of Worms said, we will kill you if you keep preaching that way. And he wanted to quit. John the Baptist, who the Bible said there was only one greater than John the Baptist, and that was Jesus Christ. He's in prison, waiting to be beheaded by Herod. And he sent a runner to be sure that Jesus was the Son of God. Charles Spurgeon, at the age of 18, pastor of the greatest church in all of England without any education whatsoever. He was called the Pearl of Great Preachers. But he died at 57, a depressed man who wanted to quit. Winston Churchill, who amidst the battle, when Germany was dropping bombs upon England, the same man who said, never turn back, never turn back, had bouts of depression that he wrote about in his memoirs. He wanted to quit. In fact, all of the great men that I've known in my lifetime have confessed to me there were moments of weakness when they wanted to quit. Needless to say, I am not a great man, but I too have wanted to quit. And so have you, and so has anybody that has done anything for God. And so today, I want to make four statements about quitting that could change your life. You may want to jot them down. Statement number one, wanting to quit is a sign of success because successful people are the only ones who can quit because they got something to quit. Years ago, I was being driven to the church to preach that night when we came across a huge piece of property filled with foundations, but no houses upon them. You could tell that a great project had started, but if you look in the corner, there was one house that had been built, but you could see it burnt to the ground. And I decided that I'd rather be the house that burnt to the ground than the house that was never built. You see, one of them served its purpose for a while anyway, and the other never served its purpose for life. And by the way, I have more respect for the person who tries and fails than the person that never tried in the first place. Statement number one, wanting to quit is a sign of success. Statement number two, I like this one. The more you have to quit, the more you want to quit. The higher that you rise, the more frightening you become. And the more you want to quit. The higher you go, the lonelier it is. The more dangerous it is. The colder and riskier it is. The greater the church like this great church and the greater the ministry and the, the greater the man of God is used, the lonelier that church and that pastor is. I'll guarantee you that I want to quit more than anybody in this building because I've been around longer and started more things and I have more to quit. Just for a minute, I want you all to sympathize with me. How many will sympathize? Raise your hand. You do not look too sympathetic out there. I have to develop at least three new messages every day. I'm constantly on a search for new ways to present an old truth in the Bible. I oversee many projects 
like Phoenix First, the Dream Center Church, and also the great Dream Centers. There are 250 Dream Centers in America today. I have a budget of about $100,000 every single day. I'm Chancellor of Southeastern University. That's another obligation. Constantly in building programs all of my life on several boards, television, books. One of the leaders in the new promise keepers that is being launched. You see, the more you have, the more you have an opportunity to want to quit. So statement number one, wanting to quit is a sign of success. Number two, the more you have to quit, the more you want to quit. Number three is my favorite. It is so good, I want to keep it to myself. I ought to make you pay for this, amen. How many think I, I should keep it? Raise your hand. How many want to hear it? Oh, you're going to like this. Follow me closely. You can enjoy the luxury of wanting to quit if you know you're not going to quit. You'll say, Pastor Barnett, how do you know that you're not going to quit? Because I never quit. I have in my billful a credit card with American Express that I have had since 1962. Most of you were not even born in 1962. With that credit card, you have to pay every month. You can't carry a kind of balance. Now, consequently, if I've never quit, just like I've never paid my bills, I can borrow a lot of money because I pay my bills. And consequently, if I've never quit and I know what my record is, therefore, it doesn't bother me if I want to quit. So I can say to myself, I just like to quit without worrying because I know I'm not going to quit. Amen. <laughs> now, if you understand what I just said, tell me after the service, okay? <laughs> now, I have wanted to quit several times in my life. I want to quit the first church I pastored in Davenport, Iowa. I had 76 of the meanest Christians you've ever seen in your life out there. And just to get enough inspiration to preach, I'd quote that scripture back to myself, be not dismayed by their faces. They used to say little dumb things like, we're not big, but we're spiritual. That's dumb. Don't say that. They used to say things like, we do not have quantity, we have quality. If you have quality, you will have quantity. Come on, say a good amen. I wanted to quit in that church. When I stood up against the dirty bookstores and the massage parlors in the city, and they brought in the mafia, and they said I'd be killed in the month of October in the pulpit. I have never lived so close to God as I did in the month of October. Amen. I would have quit when I was 60 years of age and I ran from Phoenix to LA, 436 miles across the Mojave Desert to use it to raise money to buy the Dream Center. I had blisters all over my feet. I lost all my toenails. My feet swelled from nines and halves to twelves. You say, Pastor Barnett, I know what kept gear going. It was your love for those precious little people in L.A. Now, can I be honest? 
when I'd wake up at five o'clock in the morning with every bone in my body aching. As far as I was concerned, every little kid in L.A. could have gone to the booger man. I didn't care. <laughs> but what kept me going <coughs> was not the burden. You see, the burden comes and goes, and you can get used to looking at hurting people. But the call, the call of God will keep you going when the burden leaves. It will keep you from not wanting to quit. Every Monday morning, I want to quit the ministry. And I say, before I resign, I'm going to have a good cup of coffee. Amen. <laughs> coffee has kept me in the ministry. Come on, say a good amen. Until the anointing kicks in, we've got caffeine. Come on, say a good amen. A lot of drug addicts out here. Amen. Every time somebody quit my church, I may have a hundred new ones, but I got discouraged and wanted to quit. Pastor, have you ever wanted to leave your wife? No. I wanted to kill her, but I never wanted to leave her. I'm a killer, not a quitter. That's what I am. But I have literally cut the word out of every dictionary I've ever had quit because I'm not going to quit. Now the question is, Pastor Barnett, how do I keep from quitting? I'm going to give you four quick things real quick. Number one, you got to burn the bridges behind you. When I took Matthew to LA and we got the little ghetto church, there were 25 precious Filipino people in their 80s and most of them didn't speak the English. I said to Matthew, now Matthew, uh, since you're the pastor, it's not a good idea, you're single, that you date the girls in the church. <laughs> well, if he would date them, and he'd have dated an 80-year-old one, hey, amen. There wasn't a lot of incentive for him at that time. But I said, you can fly home to Phoenix. It's only a 40 minute flight, very cheap, and you can come, and we got a lot of wonderful girls in our church, and and uh, I don't want to deprive you at this time of your life. And he never came back. One day I said, Matthew, why don't you ever come back? He said, because I'm fighting every demon in L.A. And if I come home, I won't want to go back. You see, what he did was he burned the bridges behind him. Number two, don't tell anyone that you want to quit when you want to quit because they might take you up on it. Well, pastor, if I just let people know that I'm really going through something bad, they'll all rally around me. No, even rats desert a sinking ship. You can tell them after the facts. Number three, don't expose yourself to what you don't want to be because in the next 10 years, you'll be the product uh, who you hang out with, the places that you travel, number two, and the books that you read, number four. You got to lock yourself in so that you will not quit. My wife and I, some time ago, took a little few days off to go to L.A. for a little vacation. 
In the paper that day, I read that the Phoenix Suns was playing the Los Angeles Lakers in basketball. Now, if you don't know who the Suns are, the Phoenix Suns, sons of God, amen. And if you, they're God's team, that's who they are, amen. And if you know, know who the Lakers are, they're the team from down under. And I don't mean Australia either, amen. Here's how I feel about the Lakers. If they were playing the Taliban, I'd pull for the Taliban. That's how I feel about it. I'm gonna preach the truth whether you like it or not. I said, honey, tonight we are going to the basketball game. She said, no, we're not. We're going shopping. <laughs> no, no, honey, I said, this is a great opportunity. We're going to the basketball game. No, we're going shopping. So being the man I am, I put my foot down. I said, we're going to the basketball game. And she said, no, we're going shopping. <laughs> we went, Abraham Lincoln once said <laughs> that he wanted to paint his house brown and his wife wanted to paint it green. So they compromised and they painted what men? Green. There's some men of God right there. <laughs> we went shopping. And by the way, I'd rather go through seven years of the tribulation than go shopping with my wife. I mean, that's a word right there. Why did we go shopping? I told her that my mind is made up. But she told me that her heart was fixed. And there's a difference. David said that his heart was fixed. And so was mine. Every week we have a staff meeting at our church and I hand out a sheet of paper for them to fill out. How many visits they made, how many contacts, how many people they led to the Lord and so forth. But at the bottom I have printed these words. Great men are ordinary men that just wouldn't quit. That's the difference between a man and a woman who succeeds and does something great. Sometimes the only difference is they just hung around and they wouldn't quit. I got a story I close with. It. It's a story that I wouldn't have told when I was a young man. But some things you can tell when you're older, and this is in my book along with many things like this, I think that'll help you. It's a story that I look back now and I rejoice what the Lord is doing. On my 20th anniversary of our church, I get up and announce, well, years before that, I said, preaching a sermon one day, I said, you know, before I die, there's one bucket list item I've had. I'd like to take that Concorde jet from Phoenix. Now it's no longer there. You know about it. All the way to, to uh, London. I forgot about it. It must have been 20 years later. And we had an anniversary. I think it was my 40th anniversary. And so the church wanted to do something for me. And someone said, he wanted to take the Concorde jet. Let's get him a ticket. So they bought my wife and I a ticket on the Concorde jet. I didn't, they gave me a one-way ticket. I, I didn't understand exactly what they were trying to say about that. But 
We had a week in England. It was wonderful. We flew home. At our church in L.A., the Dream Center, they heard about it, and they didn't want to be outdone. They wanted to do something for us, too. So when I landed, unbeknownst to me, they had this big black limousine waiting outside. And they said, get in the limousine. I said, where are we going? They said, don't ask any questions. And they drove us out to a hangar and put us on a jet helicopter. And my wife said, where are we going? They said, don't ask any questions. The helicopter took off and across the metropolis of LA it went. And soon we're in the blue Pacific and now we can't see land on either side. And I thought, they're gonna bury me out here on my anniversary. But then the helicopter circled and landed on a little strip of land called Catalina Island. Another little limousine picked us up and drove us around the island, took us to a little restaurant. We had lunch and then back to the limousine and back on the helicopter. But this time when the helicopter got to the beaches of L.A., it banked and went up towards Santa Monica, banked again. And soon we were flying over Beverly Hills. The lady flying the plane was also our guide. She said, if you look down right there, there's Steven Spielberg's home. And we looked down and saw this palatial, beautiful estate. We flew a little further, and she said, if you look here, there's where Liberace built his fabulous castle. Wow. We flew a little further, and she said, Right down there is the Playboy Mansion. And of course I went. <laughs> Nobody's perfect, amen, you know. <laughs> I said, there's some things you can say when you're 83, you can't say when you're 23, amen. <laughs> I love you, you're a lot of fun, amen. The helicopter banked again. And this time it's hovering at the famous Hollywood sign on the side of the mountain. We hovered there for a while and then it banked again and flew through the great buildings downtown of L.A. and landed on the Dream Center, which is right downtown. They picked us up in the limousine, took us back to our room and said, we'll pick you up tonight for the rally we're having at church. And so that night at 7 o'clock we came, there was that big, long black limousine. Now, I'll be honest with you. I don't like the limousine. I'm embarrassed. I don't want to pick the up. But my wife, she's different. She feels like she was created for the limousine. Amen. <laughs> so we got in and soon we came down Sunset Boulevard, which is one block from the Dream Center. And he stopped and said, you can get out here. I said, let us out in front of the Dream Center. He said, well, the crowd's too big. But I found out the real truth when we got out. When we turned the corner for a whole block, there was a red carpet leading to Angela's Temple. And on each side, there were hundreds of people from the Dream Center on each sign. And they had signs. We love you, Pastor. Thank you. And they were weeping and they were shouting and they were crying. The first group of men were the discipleship men. Most of them out of prison. 
Their arms are as big as my thighs. And I'd always go by and visit them every week and tell them I love me, give them a manly hit on the shoulder. If they hit back, I'd say, don't touch the anointed. Amen. <laughs> you got to have a scripture, right? Now. As I walked down between them and my dear wife, they were weeping, they were laughing, they were shouting. They were saying, we love you, preacher, we love you. We walked a little further and there were these discipleship women and the human trafficking girls. Most of them came to us with their teeth knocked out or rotted out from drugs. And so they would cover their mouth and lower their eyes when they talked to you. But we got them pearly white teeth put in we love them back into the kingdom. They found the Lord. Now they all line up to give me a hug. You know, I assume that when you're 83, they know you're safe. Amen. So they all want a hug from the old preacher. I walk further. And there's the discipleship kids. The kind of kids that would blow up a school building and they can't go back to school. They either go to a reform home or the dream center. They're giving the choice. When they come in, they're hostile, mean kids. But they come and we love them. And today they found the Lord and they're all jumping up and down saying, we love you, preacher, we love you. And then we walked in to the great Angelus Temple built during the Depression by the famous Amy McPherson, who was like the Billy Grimm of her day. Two mammoth balconies. And it's filled with thousands of people and they're jumping up and down and cheering. They got signs. We love you. Thank you. Thank you. And I looked over at my wife. And mascara was just pouring down her face. She looked like the grapes of wrath. I mean, it was terrible. <laughs> and as I looked at her, my mind went back. Some, what, 30 some odd years before that that I was holding a revival in Palo Alto, California, and my uncle was killed by going across railroad tracks, a train hit him. My aunt asked if I would stay and help her for the next few months, and I did, when one day I looked at the back, the doors opened up, and the most beautiful woman I ever saw, blonde hair. I didn't know at the time she was from Sweden, but her beauty king. She'd come to fly for Scandinavian Airlines. And boy, did I preach with anointing that night. Amen. <laughs> I preached to one person in that crowd. Lord, forgive me. And when I gave the altar call, this beautiful woman walked down the aisle and she knelt. And I felt led to knelt beside her and pray with her. The spirit had moved upon me. Amen. Thank God. I continued to stay at that church for three months to help my aunt, Amen. And I built a relationship with this girl. And at the end of three months, I asked her to marry me. I don't recommend it that soon. But you have to understand, I was an evangelist, and that was the longest I ever stayed at any place. We went out preaching at great meetings all over America, largest churches, and it was very hard for her. Women had great demands in the ministry back then. They couldn't even wear makeup back then. How foolish. 
And so there was a battle that she fought within herself. And finally, we decided it would be best if we went to Kansas City, where my dad pastored a great church and assist him for a couple years and she could get used to the ministry. So we bought a little house and they couldn't pay me much. So in the morning, I'd go out and trim trees. That's a hard job. And then in the afternoon, I would work at an oil store. And then at night, I would do the ministry of the church. One morning, I got up and I went to the door. And there she was. Her suitcase packed, standing at the door. And I said, what are you doing? She said, Tommy, I'm leaving you. I cannot do this. I've tried my best. I'm a millstone around your neck. I'm keeping you from being what you could be. I just, I want to do, but I can't. And I said, no, you're doing wonderful. You're outstanding. And, but I couldn't convince her. And to the airport I went. When that plane took off, every dream in my heart seemed to fade. All afternoon, it was weeping and praying and crying. I was trying to, to go to sleep when the phone rang. And it was my wife, Maria. Told me, I think I made a terrible mistake. Would you let me come back home? And I said, how about right now? And I stood at the airport. And when she came through that door, after a lot of hugs and kisses, we went to the parking lot. And before I started the car, I took her by the hand and we prayed. We said, God, we're going to make this work. We love each other and we love you, God. And we're going to stick together for better or worse or richer, or poor. We will not quit. And you say, and you'll say, Pastor, I'm so glad you didn't quit. You see, if we'd have quit, there wouldn't have been a Matthew. There would have been a Dream Center in over 250. There wouldn't have been a Luke. At the Phoenix Great Church, there wouldn't have been a Christie, my daughter, who heads up the human trafficking. And some of you are saying, Pastor, I'm so glad that you didn't quit. Then don't you quit. Don't you quit on that father and mother. Don't you quit at that son or daughter who's broken your heart. Don't you quit upon your church. Yes, they say during this pandemic, 11% of church members will switch to another church because they're disoriented. Don't you quit on your church. Don't you quit on your pastor. Don't you quit on your husband or wife. But most of all, don't you quit on God because he's never quit on you. He laid down his life for you. Don't quit. Everybody sit with me. Don't. Say, I won't quit. 
Say it loud. I won't Thanks for joining us. If you haven't already, hit the subscribe button and leave us a review. It helps this podcast reach even more people. Free Chapel can now be your home church no matter where you live with Free Chapel Online. Watch weekly messages from wherever you are with your family and friends, join online small groups, volunteer, and more. Plus, there's weekly content for youth and kids. Join today by downloading the Free Chapel app or head over to freechapel.org online. And a special thanks to those who give generously to help us produce weekly content like this to reach the world with the message of Jesus. If you'd like to partner with us, you can give by clicking the link in the description or on our website and app. God bless you, and we'll see you next week.